From Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is my old friend, Jill Phillips. After 20 years as a singer-songwriter, Jill Phillips went back to school to get her master's in counseling and is now a full-time marriage and family therapist who still plays music. To anyone who knows Jill at all, this career transition is not surprising. She's an incredibly wise and empathetic friend to many, and even her songs are often based on the theme of carrying each other's burdens and holding grief and hope together in the same hand. Now, I first learned about Jill and her husband, Andy, when I got to college here in Nashville, and they and Sandra McCracken were always playing concerts around campus. It was very cool to me that we got to become friends, and over the years now, we've played hundreds of shows together, mostly in December on Andrew Peterson's Christmas tour. In fact, I played my first guitar session on her God and Money album 20 years ago. Yikes. I was terrible. I bluffed my way into it, and I'm very thankful we're still friends. Uh, So we were originally going to do this interview in her new counseling office so I could sit on her couch and, you know, get the full experience. But then we just had this beautiful spring day a couple weeks ago where we were able to sit on her back porch and just catch up, and it was perfect. You might hear a few airplanes flying over, but you also might hear a lot of birds chirping too. It was worth it. Mostly these days when I see Jill, it's usually while we're working on music or in line at Ladybird Taco, so I've not gotten the full story until this chat. I've watched her sitting and doing homework and soundcheck the past four years, though, and it's been inspiring to see how focused and driven she is on learning better and better how to love and care for people. I'm so glad you guys hit play on this one. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we catch up with Jill, there are two things I want to tell you about. Number one, I am playing a show with friends soon, a real-life actual musical concert show. Actually, it's a socially distant festival just outside of Nashville. The White Owl Music Fest is happening this May 29th, with a full VIP weekend of experiences available too. What's most exciting about this and fun for me is that a bunch of my dear friends are playing as well. Jars of Clay, Sandra McCracken, Taylor Lenhart, Christopher Williams, Wild Harbors, Royce Lovett and the Brothers McClurg will be there, a bunch more. With that many old friends, I expect a good bit of jumping in and playing or singing along, and I just can't wait. And just in case you're wondering, this is not just an invite to the Tennessee listeners. White Owl Music Fest tickets have already sold in 23 states. So folks are coming from all over and making Nashville their stop for a memorable musical memorial weekend. That was so fun to say. Memorable musical memorial weekend. You can get your tickets at whiteowlmusicfest.com. I can't wait to see you there May 29th for real live actual music with real live actual people. I've got a bunch of new songs I can't wait to share too. Whiteowlmusicfest.com. And then the thing I want to tell you about number two is that my friends at Food for the Hungry are texting me every week to pass on my thanks because so many of you have signed up to join the Chicken of the Month Club. And what is the Chicken of the Month Club, you ask? Well, I'm so happy to tell you about it. You see, my friends at Food for the Hungry have a mission. It's to end poverty by going to the hard places and walking with the world's most vulnerable people. For almost 50 years, they've been inspired by their Christian belief that every person has intrinsic value that it's our responsibility to advocate for the poor and marginalized, no matter their race, beliefs, or nationality. Food for the Hungry are providing life-changing resources like clean water, medical aid, food, equal educational opportunities to boys and girls. The goal is to eventually leave a community fully self-sustaining. And the exciting news is that we can help. How? Let me tell you. Go to fh.org slash pivot and join me and other Pivot listeners in the Chicken of the Month Club. Your ongoing monthly gift of $28 provides two chickens to a different vulnerable family every month. Guys, life is hard everywhere. It's sure been harder these last 12 months than any of us Americans with podcast apps expected. But it's really, really hard for God's children in other parts of the world. War, corruption, extreme poverty, famine, drought, constant threats of violence, not to mention the coronavirus. And it's crazy that something as small as 28 bucks and two chickens can fight against all that darkness, but it can. These chicken's eggs provide protein these families wouldn't otherwise get. Chickens are easy to raise, they multiply quickly, so families can earn an additional income by selling eggs or chicks in the market. Healthier families with economic opportunities provided by a caring support structure, this is how the world often changes, and we get to be a part of it. 
And as a gift to you, I'm going to send you an awesome coffee mug with a little Nashville flair just for fun. That's right, it's got our Little Club's logo on it, Andrew Osinga's Hot Chicken of the Month Club. My hope is that when you drink your coffee or tea out of this great mug, it will serve as a reminder of the good work that you are a part of to end poverty. So let's do this, fh.org slash pivot. And now, here's my conversation with my old friend, Jill Phillips. I wanted to start this. You said we've known each other for a long time. Long time. Long time. I guess we did meet playing on, when I played on that, was that your first record? That was it your was second record. It was my second record. And I think that's when we officially met because you, somebody had had said, hey, get Osenga to play on on this. And I thought you were Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being like, Osenga, oh, he's very white. He's very- <laughs> Um, that whole time that I had heard your name and um, you came and played at the God and Money show which I think was in the rafters of Belmont which doesn't exist anymore which is gone yeah yeah I think that's where we first maybe we first formally met you were the big deal you and Andy were like the jam when I when Case and I were freshmen you guys were seniors I think (laughs) and you had you got all the cool did all the cool shows you know (laughs) it's like oh man (laughs) Oh, oh man, just, I don't even... If we can someday be as cool as Andy and Jill, maybe yeah, possible. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do remember that I played, I think I played on your next record. Yep. Totally bluffed my way, because I never actually played on a record before that wasn't our own bands. Awesome. And I didn't know how to do any of it. Well, we really didn't either, so it was fine. Which was great, because <laughs> I needed that safety net. That's so great. Um, but I still think of like how... Much I didn't know that day, and how overwhelming and what great it was, and no oh, totally idea. overwhelming. I had no idea. I didn't know the number system, and everybody started charting things with numbers. Yeah. And I was like, "What are they doing?" Yeah. Anyway, known each other a long time, and yeah. I've no. And during that time, uh, we've done this Christmas tour a lot. Yeah. So, for the most part, we see each other like three times a year, and then all December. Yes. One of the things that's happened on that tour is that there's almost always like somebody. Mm-hmm. Who's going through a tough time? Yes, and that tour has—it's just been this sort of gift to all of us, but kind of specifically to one or two people every year who kind mm-hmm. of really need that space, mm-hmm. which has been wonderful. And I've watched you have this sort of intuitive knack for empathy and mm-hmm. kindness mm-hmm. in that. Thank and you. so when you started talking about, oh, I'm gonna—I think I'm gonna go be a counselor and like study how to do this and officially mm-hmm. do this. It made a lot of sense, but what was like? What was the impetus for doing that? Like, wh- when did the light bulb go off? Of okay, I have this. I like to be nice to people. Maybe I should, but that's not the same thing as like being a professional full time counselor, right? So, uh, like, what was the thinking that led you into that? I think it was cumulative. Like, I think it was one of those things that seems like an overnight decision, but it was probably like coming for a long time. Yeah. I had noticed for years, and Andy had too, that a lot of therapists came to our shows. (laughs) And then we liked doing things with therapists. And when I was with them, I was always like asking them a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I thought what they did was so cool. And they thought what we did was so cool. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, no, really, like back to you. (laughs) Like, Let's talk more about this. And I remember we would do events that, you know, like fundraisers for different counseling practices or whatever. Like there's one in Charlotte that we worked with over the years, Barnabas Center and others. And of course, my love for Porter's Call and Al and um, all these different things. I think over the years, the connection felt really organic. And so I always felt like therapists were like my people and I Hmm. felt like our songs, the songs were therapeutic in some way maybe, or I hoped at, at the best they would be. And then I noticed that people kept just coming to me with their with their sadness and their pain and that it felt really purposeful mm. and meaningful. And I also realized in several different situations that I didn't have the boundaries, the tools, the skills to really like engage with it like I wanted to. That's really interesting. It was in some situations like people's stuff became like my stuff, you know, and it was like that overwhelming to me. Yeah. And 
that's when I was like, okay, I have a choice here. I can like just continue being like a lay person doing this, which is awesome. People do that all the time. Or I can like go get training around this mm. and get skilled and better at doing this and take this empathetic calling or whatever I feel like I have and like get real training around it and know how to do it better and know how to engage in a better, like it, yeah, just really, there's a lot of skill to it mm. is what I'm learning. Like therapists have been doing this a long time and are really good. They, they've learned a lot. They've read a lot. They've trained. There's skill to asking the right questions. And so I knew that I, if I was going to keep doing this, that I would need that. Hmm. And so I, and, and then of course, you know, personal suffering in my own life, which is why I think any, I don't know anybody that does this work that hasn't been thrown in the deep end in some way. I don't know that I would trust someone who hadn't. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe not, but I think it's just the unique I don't know. It, it, it's not a better thing. I really don't believe that. I don't think it's better to be a therapist. I don't think you're more evolved or something. I just think like for whatever reason, like life has thrown me in the deep end many times in my life with suffering. So it just doesn't feel unfamiliar to me and it doesn't mm -hmm. feel scary. I'm not afraid to go into it. I'm not afraid of people's stuff. It doesn't freak me out. And some people, it would, and that would be a horror. They would hate that job. <laughs> And so part of me just feels like, well, then I know I'm supposed to do it. I just know I'm supposed to do it because mm. it does, it feels like home. So when you, when you made that kind of decision, yeah. okay, I'm going to pursue this, then what does that look like? Because at the time you're traveling, playing music, mm -hmm. but that, that's a pretty big shift to be a, going, yeah. being a student in your thirties, late thirties, probably. Yeah, I was, I think I was. 39. I was almost 40 when okay. I made the decision. Yeah. So I'm what did that look now. like? Um, I remember hiking. I was hiking at near Suwannee with my friend Courtney Howard. And we were processing some things that were going on in our life, particularly in my life. And I just said to her, um, I, th I think I want to go back to school. And I've never, I don't know that I've ever said that out loud to you. And she's like one of my best friends. And she hmm. goes, me too. <laughs> and she's like, and I've never, I haven't said it out loud. And her mom is a therapist. And so she knows this world really well, but we had never said it out loud to each other. Hmm. And that was the moment. Really? When we both knew, like, I think it was working on our hearts individually, mm -hmm. but that was the moment when we had said it out loud and it became almost like real, like we've said this yeah. out loud. And then it became, okay, what if we did this together? Like, what if we both went and went back to school together? Because it sounds so hard and so scary. She has kids as well and is a mom. And well, that's what that means, kids <laughs> and mom. <laughs> um, she has kids and she's a mom. Um, but anyway, so we were both scared and it was, it was, we were like, what are we going to do to our families and how much money is this going to cost and what a dumb idea and all of this. And then, but we thought maybe if we did it together, it would be a little less scary, a little less lonely. And so we did. So did you go to the same school? We did. I didn't realize Yeah, that. we went, we were in class together. We, we took every class together. That's so fun. We did the whole thing together. Wow. Yeah. And it really helped. I bet. It really helped because we had stuff to, we we could bounce stuff off each other or there's stuff that she was good at and understood that I didn't and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And we would help each other and talk about papers together. And it was, yeah, it was just awesome. So when you're studying to be a counselor, what's the average age of students? I mean, are most people kind of in this in that sort of second phase of life or is there are there a lot of 20-year-olds 20, 20 in that class? I think it's both. Both. Yeah, you almost just see the split. It's like you see the the students that are coming like right out of college and they're going like straight into their graduate program. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that it's like a second half of life career shift. Mm -hmm. um, maybe moms whose kids are a little bit older and are now doing it or men who it's their second career. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're just like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. So it was really both. I would have classes with kids that were 23 and then people in their 40s and 50s. Hmm. How were you as a student different this time <laughs> than the first time? Oh, man. I feel like I became one of those classic, like, older students that you would, like, in undergrad, I would have made fun of. 
Sat in the front row. So, yeah, just so, I'm just like, I'm not messing around. Like, I am, I am paying for this. <laughs> I am like, <laughs> this is hard and this is costing my family time and money. You better believe that I'm not, I've given everything like 100%. Yeah. Like, no way am I slacking off on this. And Courtney's the same way. We're both like super intense students and like we, we both care so much about, about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, we were we were we were good students. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, in that process, then you do you kind of start doing counseling with people in the school or through the school? Yeah. So, kind of what it's probably different for every program, but the way our program is structured is like, was it a year in or a year and a half in? Honestly, I can't even remember now. So, you do have a year or more of just classes. Mm-hmm. You don't they don't put you with any human, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't trust you to do that, which is really yeah, we're good. Gonna, we're going to teach you to take it apart and put it back together. Right. Before you, yeah. Yeah. Just a basic, basic foundational stuff, basic, like developmental, developmental stuff, human development and hmm. history of psychology and yeah, just basic kind of fundamental classes, the different theories that people use and all hmm. that kind of stuff. And then, you begin your practicum, which is where the school that I went to, they do, it's a, it's a university. And so you could work in the student counseling center there and counsel undergrads. So you, they have what is called your practicum. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're like basically an intern or, you know, and so you can pick different organizations to work with and you learn there. And so, because different people are going for different reasons, right? Some people yeah. want to work with kids. Some people want to work with couples. Some people want to work with individuals. Some people. And what do you? What do you like? Do you have a specialty? I work with adults. Like I work with individuals and couples. I, I studied marriage and family therapy, so you can see couples and families and things like that. But you know, really, you can do. You could see individuals or couples. It doesn't matter or families. Yeah. But I would say I see more individuals than I do couples, but I do see some couples. But some kids want, I mean, I say kids, they're not kids. We were not kids. But some of the students wanted to, you know, work with adolescents. or So you could pick an organization that you wanted yeah. to work at to kind of learn more about that particular population. That's cool. Yeah. So then how long have you been doing this, like, for a living, like, I, that's a good question. Do you have, wait, do you have like a letters after your name now? Officially? No, I will at the end of this year, hopefully. Okay. And so I'm finishing, what, M- I've like, so I'm in the stage where I've passed my licensure exam and I've done all the, t- all of that stuff, that hard stuff that you have to do. And I'm just finishing my hours. Okay. You have to have two years of accumulating supervision hours and direct hours and that kind of thing. So I it's hard to even explain. There are years that you do it and you're accumulating hours, but you can't make money. Oh, wow. So I've been sitting with clients for almost three years, but part of that was internship and practicum where I was not getting paid, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so it's coming up on three years that I've actually sat in a room and been with people, but some of that was in my practicum. Now you talked earlier about like wanting to learn skills that Mm -hmm. they're, that it's not just sort of learning theory, but it's learning like actual practical tools, yeah. which is really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that that's not something that stays in the therapist's office, but like, does that change how you parent and how you, how you are a friend? Like, yeah. Uh, wh- what has learning that stuff looked like for you in the rest of your life? I mean, I would say it's harder to bring it into those old spaces because the patterns are so ingrained, right? That's interesting. I would love to say, I'm an amazing Zen therapist like mom, but I'm just not (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the time. Um, It can help me like get back on track for sure. Hmm. I think I, I hope that I ask better questions. I hope that I listen more. Um, I think one thing that you learn, and I've learned this in places outside of therapy for sure, but I think you have to learn and practice being able to engage with people and give them your presence and be with them and then not take things on as your own. Mm, and that is, that I think, one of the hardest terribly parts. Terribly difficult. I think that's one of the hardest parts. And so I think that's what translates to with 
kids and a lot of that is like 12-step recovery kind of stuff too, but it's like the principles that you might find in a 12-step recovery group I think are really helpful in situations like this, which is like your own side of the street, letting go, all of that stuff. That's the kind of stuff that makes its way to parenting is like, Hmm. I can be with you in this. I can engage with you in this. I can give you my presence. Like I don't presume to know everything that you should do for yourself or Hmm. I don't... I'm not here to give you advice. Hmm. Same with teenagers. Like, I'm not here to put my expectations on you of who you should be and what you're going to do with your life. That stuff is hard. That's hard. That is hard. But it's the same practice, I think, with therapy that it is in those other places. Yeah. And to be able to have the... I, I, I imagine that it it's hard to carry, you know, five hours of people's darkest things yeah. and then come home and be like, and and laugh at a joke that your kid says. Right. Like you've got to, th- that has to take some sort of like ritual practice. practice. <laughs> yeah. It's getting easier. In the beginning, it was really hard. And people told me it would get easier with practice. Mm. I'm better at it now. And like, I think I'm learning, I'm learning what helps me like, like complete the stress cycle. Like there's this whole podcast on it on that Brene Brown cycle. talked about with burnout. And if you guys, if you are interested in it, it's a fascinating podcast to listen to. And it's on burnout and emotions in the body and how they have to be completed. And so what I found huh. is like, like there's a beginning, middle and end to emotions and stress and all these things. And like, if you get like stopped in the middle of it, it just like stays in your body and you're just like, ah, and you're activated and you're coming home and and there are these things that we know help us complete the stress cycle. One of mm. them is walking, like exercise, right? Like walking, creativity. There's all these different things. And mm. so like I've found that what really works for me is a really like brisk walk. Yeah. It really helps me get like any like anxiety out of my body or that kind of thing. So I try to do that at the end of the day when I, you know, when I've seen clients and I'm like before I like, I'm engaging. Like I might come home and put my stuff down and then I just like go on a brisk walk and they, mm-hmm. they make fun of me. The kids make fun of me and Andy, they call me power stubs because I have these like short legs, but I like, walk so fast. <laughs> and they're like, look at power stubs out there. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. but it feels so good on yeah. my body. And then I just like come in and I'm just like engaged and more yeah. present and all that. So that's what works for me. But different things work for different people. Yeah. I I don't know what it is, but in the last like two years, I'm like I need like a twelve minute nap at about six o'clock. Great, great. Just like oh, otherwise I'm a, I'm a zombie for yes. you know like I'm just not able to be present because I'm so worn out from the day. Yeah, and it's a dumb little thing, but I'm like Dad needs his twelve minutes, and they all like it's great. Set my little little timer, and and I've all sleep for literally like four minutes. Yes, and I'm like oh yeah, let's go. Awesome, which is so weird. It's not weird. It's awesome. awesome. (laughs) We got to like find that stuff that works for us, you know? And so I think I'm getting better at that and acknowledging that like there's just sometimes implicitly this toll that it takes on my body. I might Mm -hmm. not even be aware of it. It's not like I'm coming home always aware of it, but I just know it's happening like somatically. So I just try to take care of it in that way. And I'll just like walk really fast or I'll, I change my clothes like that helps. Like I just put on mm. like really comfortable clothes. And then I love, I really love cooking. So I just like, we'll turn on the radio and like I'll start cooking. And it just makes me feel like I've separated the two yeah. things. That makes a lot of sense. So you played music as your primary profession mm-hmm. for 20 years, yeah. give or take. Yep. How do you view that now, like in your mm-hmm. active life? I. I think that was the thing, one of the things that scared me most about going to school, back to school, is I didn't know what that would mean for music. And I think me, and I'll start with me, but maybe most of us look at vocation as a very like black or white thing, like it's this or that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I knew I didn't want it to be this or that. I knew I didn't want music to end. And I knew that I always wanted to hold space for both of those things in my life. But I didn't know if I was crazy. Hmm. I was like, am I just like, do I not even know what this is like? And then I'm going to do therapy and I'm going to be, and then I'm going to have given this thing up and there's no going back and I'll regret it, Mm -hmm. you know? I had some fear around that. 
But what I've been really surprised to find out is like you can do both. <laughs> yeah. You can just do both. And mm-hmm. they kind of feed each other and not in some weird way. Not like client stories feed songs, nothing like that. But just like <laughs> both. There's a new one about this no, girl who. No, yeah. no, no, no. Would never do that. <laughs> like, wow, that was Feels the weirdest so, concert I've ever been to. No, yeah. Like so protective <laughs> of that. But I think I've thought about this a lot. I think these jobs are really similar in mm. a lot of ways. I think both of them require paying attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a songwriter and being a therapist in many ways are not that different. It's like you really have to pay attention. You have to be aware of what's going on in your life and around you and try to make meaning. You're looking for threads. Mm -hmm. You're looking for stories. You're looking for connections. Mm -hmm. It's the same. If I'm sitting with a client, I'm looking for connections. Like I'm not, Hmm. they're telling me a story and they're going, I don't know why I'm saying this and then this and this. And I'm like, well, I, I do. Huh. Like I'm finding, you can find the connections. It's the same with writing songs. You're putting this verse together with this verse together with this mm-hmm. verse and you're telling a story. So I think they're, I think they're really, really And choosing similar. your words carefully, probably. Yep. Yep. They're, I think they're really similar. Both require a lot of presence. They require engagement. They require, I mean, art, being an artist in the best sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense that you and I would want, would aspire to, it's about paying attention. Hmm. So I think the years of being a musician really prepared me for this work, and I don't think anything is wasted in that regard. So I think they, I think that paying attention and that practice that I'm in of having to constantly just really sit in the deep end of life, it can only help being a musician. Yeah. So I'm really liking the songs that I'm writing right now. I yeah, I just think they're coming out of a different person and a different place and I'm not like super prolific. I'm not like writing a ton. But I'm working with Ben Shive right now on some things and we're going to do something together this summer. And I'm like, "Oh, I like these songs that are coming out. They're just where I am." And That's exciting. So I don't think they have to be I guess what I would tell people is and maybe even women in particular, I don't know. You don't have to just be like one thing in your life. Mm-hmm. You can be lots of different things and you can change your mind and you can grow. And in each decade of your life, you can add something new or learn from what you've been doing. If you've been a stay-at-home mom, it's not wasted. Nothing is wasted. It'll, it might flow into the next phase of your life really mm. beautifully. So yeah, I just kind of reject the I guess the assumption that I would have to choose one or the other. Yeah. But I do keep them very separate. <laughs> I keep them very separate. Sure. Like I don't, yeah, I just, I try to make sure. Like I honestly, this podcast, I don't even talk a ton about being a therapist. There are a lot of people don't even know mm-hmm. in the music world that I do that. Yeah. Because I've intentionally like not said a lot about it. <laughs> Because I don't, you know, it's fine. I feel like it's fine now. You know, it's out there. A lot of people, my friends know and all of that. But I don't, yeah, I just, I I feel really protective of that space in my life and of the people that I sit with. And yeah. so I really try to keep those two things very separate. Yeah, that's, that seems very wise. Mm-hmm. So was there ever any, like, did you, when you started this process, did it, for a little bit, did you think you were probably walking away from music? Like, I wondered. Was there any kind of identity struggle there or fear? Yeah, for sure. I wondered. I think I felt like, I think I wondered what I would be powerless over. Like, I wondered, like, even if I don't want to walk away, am I going to have to? Mm. <laughs> I know that's weird. Yeah. But just like, even like in in school, just like time demands. Yeah. I didn't even know what all the time demands would be. I didn't yeah. know what I could do and not do. I didn't know wh- how many hours would be required of me. I didn't even know if it would be possible. And so it was really hard for a few years. I mean, I remember being at Laity Lodge one summer. I was working and trying to enjoy it. But I was in the middle of a class. And so I was sitting out at the Frio River, and I was, like, writing a paper. And I just thought, oh, I hate this. <laughs> like, I don't want to be writing a paper on academic testing right now or assessments or something. Like, I want to be here at the river. Hmm. But I knew, like, it was a season. Yeah. I knew, like, this isn't going to be forever. This will pass. And it has. Um, it has. It's not 
my time is a little bit more my own now. It'll be even more my own when I'm fully licensed. I won't have to have supervision and groups and things like that, but Hmm. it's getting more and more my own to decide how I want to structure my day. Yeah. And so I try to structure it to where I have days off. Like next week I'm taking off and just being with my kids for spring break and just trying to be sure that I practice like what I would preach to somebody else or tell somebody else. Like if I'm talking about taking care of yourself and you're more than a human doing, then I need to do it myself. Hmm. So I really try to take breaks and acknowledge my limitations and keep working on these other things like creatively with Ben and yeah, try to be like a whole person. That's so good. That's I'm so trying. Good. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's a battle. Yeah. It's a battle, but I'm trying. With what you're doing now, mm-hmm. when you look back at the work that you've done, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I'm trying to get to this question. You've talked a lot that, that sort of everything, that nothing is wasted, things have led to it. Let me ask, I'll ask it this way. Do you think your clients listen, would listen to your music? Have they? Uh, I, I know it's happened before. How does that, and when they do, uh-huh. does that, what does that do to the relationship? I think it's got to be completely about what it does to them in their relationship. Okay. It had nothing to do with me at that point. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, if, if I ever felt like something was harming the therapeutic process for my client, mm-hmm. we would talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was not, doesn't matter what I think Or they're sort of it. like... That's so cool. Look at you. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know my therapist has like this amazing voice. Yeah. The question isn't, what is that like for you? Yeah. What is that like for you that you might have heard a song and I'm your therapist? Like, what yeah. is that like? Huh. So it's always, and then if it was ever a disservice to somebody or like, was it impediment for them in some way? It would be all about them and what they need. Yeah. Doesn't matter what I feel about it. And I think, you know, typically like, when you're meeting somebody and doing that intake stuff, if it were to ever come out that somebody was like a fan or something like that, mm-hmm. like I would, I would send them to somebody else. Hmm. Like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't see them if I felt like it was, you know, I would just yeah, say, yeah. Hey, let's, let's consider what this is like for you. And so that, that just typically doesn't happen. Yeah, It might be somebody heard a song or somebody this or that or yeah. whatever, but it's not, yeah, if somebody was like a big fan of the rabbit room or my music or something that we talk about, like what that means for them, and I'd probably refer them to somebody else. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. But it's really about what would serve the client at that point and yeah. what um, any kind of dual relationship or anything like that is always about um, erring on the side of protecting the client. Hmm. Yeah. So when you go and play concerts now... Mm-hmm. Because uh, you've made a, a number of records over the years, just some wonderful music, and Thanks. I know when you've got a bunch of records, it's like you're going to play for an hour and a half, like you have to choose, you know, you, you curate those songs. Mm-hmm. Do you look at, at that sort of curation differently now? Like, does that does that change how you kind of view the work that you've done? Yes, <laughs> I think there are things I didn't even know, like. Yes, it does. I think I have more, oh my gosh, there's so much to go. So I don't want to sound like I've arrived at some place. I have not. (laughs) I have more awareness of what was going on in my life at different seasons. Oh, wow. And I have more awareness of who I am. So it's almost like you can do, you're you're almost like applying your therapeutic mind now to the the writer of that song 12 years ago. Oh, I know what she was doing. Yeah. And maybe even like, even more than therapeutic work, because it goes into it, but personal work Mm. and my own therapy and all of that, my own work. Oh. I just like apply that to it now. And I'm just like, I don't know. I think I have, I think I have a lot more compassion for myself, which I think is always like a, a good way to go <laughs> mm. and um, a lot more compassion for myself, a lot more like, oh man, that must have been hard. <laughs> I think I notice mm. more like the kind of, because I know more of who I am now, I know more about the songs that I write and sing and I can look back in ways that I was like finding that mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, look at you. 
you're a common good person. Look at you writing the song about like everybody coming together and being together. Like I didn't even know that's what I was doing. It just like felt mm. right in my spirit. And so now I guess maybe maybe what how I would say it is the stuff that felt a little bit more implicit is now a little more explicit to me. Sure. I didn't know why I was doing those things. And now I'm kind of like, oh, you were writing songs about that you needed to hear. You were writing songs about like these themes that are like really important to Mm -hmm, you. mm -hmm. And I know where a lot of that came from and in your story and in this and all that. So in some ways, music is like healing us first, right? Yeah. And the things that people write about are the things that they need to hear more than anybody else. Oh, and I think that's what I'm aware of now, that maybe yeah. I wasn't then. And maybe in early days of like CCM, you thought about writing the songs for everybody else. And I realize now I was really writing these songs for myself. And, it, and in our own calling and woundedness and gift is then the only thing that can help anybody else. If we're hmm. being like uniquely ourselves, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if that makes any sense, but me being me and not trying to be anybody else is when I have something to offer the world and then letting this person be them and write their song. Eugene Peterson always says, pastors have like one sermon. Mm-hmm. I've heard him say, And yeah. like songwriters, I do think have like one song at its core, even if they're like really amazing writers and it's really different and this and that, I think the themes are really similar. Yeah. And so it's getting curious about what those are for you and um, what are the things that you want to say for me, it's always been some like common good kind of thing. We're all in this boat together, like, you know, and the blend, the both and of hope and suffering. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. It's like just always been this theme. And, you know, which is really interesting because the therapy work is very much the same. Hmm. It's like, how do you hold on to hope while you're suffering? How do you sit in the both and of this? How do you honor the suffering and not? minimize it in any way and also believe that something bigger is at work that will um, eventually take you to a different place. Hmm. So I think those themes have been. So do you think therapists have their one sermon, their one song, like Mm -hmm. they have their kind of their notes that they play? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I do. And I think it's why not everybody works for everybody. I mean, there are things that are universal that are just true. We know that work, right? Mm -hmm. Asking good questions, presence, attunement, like listening, mm-hmm. kindness, like all these things are just universal. Yeah. I think everybody is, um, yeah, like every everybody responds to the modality that they do because of their own story or everybody responds mm-hmm. to the different things that they use because of their own story. Um, yeah, Stephen, my, my old boss, used to say, everybody picks the modality they do just to manage their own anxiety. <laughs> And mm. so I think there's... You mean like from, and from the therapy side, like the yeah. actual... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, you're, you're still a person and you have your own bent. And that's why I always tell my clients, like, I care more about you getting well than you getting well with me. Mm. So we're going to find what works for you. And if it's not sitting with me, we're going to find what it is. And I don't presume that I know everything and could be all things to everyone. Yeah. There are people that need different things. So if it's not working, we will find you what works for you. Hmm. So if somebody's listening to this and they've never been to counseling or they spent a long time and they feel like, mm-hmm. you know what, this I've had this nagging thing in my head and I'm hearing these people talk about it. I need to I need to look into this. Mm-hmm. What should they look for? Like do they should they look for someone whose story mirrors their own or No, because they won't even know. They won't even know. Mm-mm. They won't even know their therapist's story. Or they shouldn't. <laughs> you know, and I mean maybe like down the road or something, but it's not going to be on anybody's website that I know of. Maybe a little bit. Maybe somebody might be like, hey, I work with trauma survivors and that's my passion and this is what I do. Maybe mm. that kind of thing. But yeah, it shouldn't be about the therapist for their story. But I think you just go sit with somebody and see what feels right to you. See mm. what feels safe. See what feels good. See where you over time start to feel like something's changing or shifting. And maybe that's a good place to start. Hmm. And it's really okay if it's not the right fit. But therapy, like anything, it's a process. So usually the first session, people are just so terrified anyway. It's so scary. It's so vulnerable. And so you typically don't know 
first session, I mean, you might, somebody might be like, no, definitely not. That is not the right fit. Mm-hmm. They can take a minute to kind of know, like, is this process working for me or not? Is this person a good fit for me or not? So much of it is just subjective. Like, like, does this feel right? Does this feel good? And that's okay. Hmm. Some people will pick on a modality or some people will go, oh, I like that. But that's not typical. Most people are just looking for somebody that can be with them and make them feel less alone in their pain. Hmm. And that is completely subjective. Yeah. So now that you've done this, you've done all this work to get to the point of practicing this. Mm-hmm. You, you've been practicing it for a few years. Mm-hmm. Is it what you thought it would be? That's a great question. Um, I think in some ways, yes. Um, I think in some ways, yes, that's what I thought it would be. And in some ways, no. I think there are the the details on the like the backside of it are all new to me like all mm. the administrative paperwork kind of like oh man the schooling the classes the that's how I feel exams. about the music business like right oh the the p and and spreadsheets does is, that feel similar to in a way it's just like yeah like i thought i was just going to talk to people about songs yes cuz i like that right that part that. Yeah. i had no frame yeah, of reference yeah. for at and, all and you're essentially running your own a business, business person right? <laughs> yes yes the therapy part with people i, I love um mm. it's the the other stuff has been interesting um yeah like running my own business and all of that kind of stuff none of that i love i do it because i it serves the the mm-hmm. work that i do um and all the yeah, all the like business part of it and all the trainings and all of that kind of stuff, that part is like all new to me. Mm-hmm. That part is really interesting and kind mm-hmm. of bizarre. Um, and all the people that group around different, the different things that they choose. There's like factions even within like the therapy Ooh. world. And I find that oh. really interesting. It's like, oh, you're a, like what, what are your modalities and what are this? That's like so interesting to me. I don't know so that that's all been new. I, I didn't even know. And the therapist like world sort of is therapist very street gangs, just like it the, is. The sharks it feels and the jets. like that. Yeah. It feels like that. It, it's just a really interesting world. So that is all brand new to me. Yeah. I'm very familiar with the music world. Yeah, but this world is a very different world. So what's it like being in your 40s, starting and like starting from scratch, mm-hmm. being a, being the new kid? It's like I is mean, it fun? Like did you? Uh, yeah. It's all, it's a lot of things. It's scary. Like it's, it's scary in a way because just my personality, I would say I tend to doubt myself more than maybe some people. And so, um, I would say I didn't come into this being like, yeah, you're awesome. You're going to be an off the female run business. I just did it. I was just like, can I do this? And I would say then on the flip side, it's like very empowering. It's very empowering to just be like, I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. I think my life for the past few decades has been about caregiving, right? It's been about serving my kids and in many ways. And I chose this. Andy did not choose this for me. I chose this for myself to take a back seat in my career to be more present at home. Hmm. While his career sort of flourished and he did more and I did less. Because that happened, right? I mean, that was... Yeah, it, it very much There was happened. a lot... You were, you were touring all the time. And right. then you, you cut way back. I did. I had three kids and I couldn't. I, I just... It was... Well, I could. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to. I always wanted to do some music, but I didn't want to do it at the pace I had been doing it. Mm-hmm. And some of that's just my personality. I don't think it's better or worse, any of that. It's just me. I just didn't want to miss all the things. I knew I could not, I, I just could not live with myself. It was like really causing me distress. Hmm. How long ago was that? Like at what, at what stage in? I think it was, again, it was cumulative. It happened over time, probably with each kid. Just that you did a it little It got a little harder. A little it yeah. just got, and so then it became more like, yeah, no big tours, except for the Christmas tour. 
um, like I did, wouldn't go out and open for somebody on tour or whatever. Cause like, I didn't mm -hmm. want to be gone for months at a time. Um, and this, so it became more like weekend work and that felt good. And then it became like, okay, how many weekends can I do this? <laughs> Maybe two. And it became like one, like Andy would do like three and I do one. Mm -hmm. And so it became like that. So I still had that outlet and it felt good and I wasn't like giving it up and I loved it, mm -hmm. but I couldn't go out like I was before because I just didn't, I just wanted to be at home. So I wanted the both <laughs> and that's how it worked for me. Yeah. And so I think I had been really like, I think probably I'd lost a little bit of my identity in that in some way. Like mm. that's on me. Um, what do you mean? Like, I think I forgot who I was a little bit. Like I forgot what I was. I think I lost a lot of confidence actually. I think I, um, oh, that's going to make me tear up to think about it. I think I did. I think I, I think I forgot what I was capable of. And I mean, I don't mean that in an arrogant way at all. I just mean like, I think I forgot some of my creativity. I think I forgot some of my callings. And, and maybe it was just a season that had to be. But I think in that season of giving up so much, and it was my choice, I like, I lost, I, like even going back to grad school, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Hmm. And it like took me a while to realize like, no, I, I can. Like, I'm, I'm smart. <laughs> I can do this. I mean, yeah. that sounds dumb or arrogant, but I don't mean it that way. Like, I just forgot. I always, I saw myself as like, I don't know, like maybe not capable or like Andy's career was taking off. And I guess maybe there was a part of me that was like, well, yeah, maybe I was like never that good at it to begin with. Hmm. Which is not true, by the way. Well, thanks. It wasn't a jealous. We've never been competitive in that way, which yeah. it worked. Thank God. Like it worked yeah. really well. But it was more like my own self-doubt. And and so I think the farther, the more I kind of got away from doing that and, and you know, things in my life as well that, that happened. Re I went through some really hard things in my 20s and 30s and where I just kind of lost some of my confidence. Mm. And so I think going back to school and doing this and then coming, bringing it back to music, I like really have gained some of that back. Mm. And it's not a weird like, I'm awesome kind of confidence because <laughs> I do not think that it's more just like, I know who I know more of who it is that I am and who God has created me to be. And I can like lean into that. And I, and that gives me space to let other people lean into who they are and yeah. what they do. So it's been a really going back to school was a really healing thing for me, hmm. really empowering thing. And I love that my daughter gets to see me go, hey, in your 40s, you can do something different. My yeah. sons, too. My, like, to go, hey, you can, like, you can change your mind. You can go back. You can work hard. You can, mm -hmm. like, change your mind. You can, I don't know, run your own business. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's so not me. It's so not, I mean, it is, but it's so not how I've been operating mm. for decades. And I mean, some of that we're, get, you know, we're getting into like women in the music industry, and you know, that's yeah. I've unlearning some of that subservient role kind of stuff, mm -hmm. or like playing, like playing dumber than you are, or having to play dumber than you are, or having to play second to men, and all of that that I've had to do for twenty years. Mm that I've done, right? Hmm. It's like, I, it feels awesome to just be like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. It's <laughs> awesome. So it's scary and it's empowering, I guess, is the answer to that question. Yeah. And as far as, as far as you like running your own business, because you were for a while, like you were kind of working under a practice mm -hmm. that had a lot of therapists. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. But I now, you're you're not. You stepped out from yeah, that. Like I did. I did. I loved where I worked. Um, I I had such a great experience there, and I wouldn't have started any other way. It was really great. I learned a ton, and really, what it came down to, it wasn't a dissatisfaction with the people I worked with or anything. It was really just about 
my value, like my value of being home with family more. Mm. I could set my schedule more when I was my own boss. Yeah. When you're working in a in an agency or in a practice, there's just less flexibility with that. And you're sharing an office and it's all, it was like, I shared an office with an amazing woman that's my friend. So, but it was just, I was starting a little earlier than I wanted to and I was mm-hmm. working a little later than I wanted to. Yeah. And so I just knew that my family's my life. And if my, if me, if my personal sanity and my family are suffering, then I have no business doing this work because I'm not, I, I can't only do sit with people and offer any kind of healing perspective if I, if I am taking care of myself. Yeah. So I just did it so that I could set my hours a little differently and mainly work when my kids were in school. It's been really great. That's it's awesome. been really great. That is so, that's so awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me come over and sure. sharing about it. this. is so fun to hear about. And sure. Uh, because I only, you know, it's like mostly these days I see you when we're, when we are both like rarely playing music. Yeah. Or at again. Lady Bird Taco. Yeah. Or at Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I just feel like I've just, I've heard these snippets for the last couple of years. It's really fun to hear the whole Thanks. story and I'm just so excited for you and thankful Thank you. and what a gift that is to so many people here in Nashville and it's a gift to me it's a gift to me you know as much as anybody it feels really I don't know at the end of the day even when you're tired and your work is hard I mean you know this right when it's been meaningful and purposeful like there's just this contentment that um, happens and I I will ne- I don't I don't feel like I will reach the end of my life whenever that is and be like, I regret (laughs) Hmm. or I didn't do anything that had meaning or purpose. Like it just feels like such a privilege to get to be with people in their real life and their stories. It is just the biggest privilege. And then to get to play music, like what a gift, what a life. I I just feel like I couldn't ask for anything better. It's hard. But it is like, it is just full of meaning and purpose. So I just, yeah, whatever that is for people, I would want that for them. Whatever that is for my kids, I would want that for them, you know? That's awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jill. That was so fun. How encouraging is it to hear someone so reinvigorated and excited for something new? If you're listening to this right now, you are not done. Your story is not over. What is it you've been dreaming about? What is it that's been burning on your heart? There's time to chase it. And now might be the right time to start. If you want to learn more about Jill or hear her wonderful music, you can go to jillphillips.com. To join me and a bunch of other Pivot listeners in the Chicken of the Month Club, which you know you want to do, go to fh.org pivot. provides two chickens to a family in need every month, and it changes lives, and you can be a part of it. fh.org slash pivot. Also, don't forget to get your tickets for the White Owl Music Fest. Whiteowlmusicfest.com, May 29th. Real live music with real live actual people. Oh, it's going to be so fun. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks for the reviews and the shares and the comments. It is so helpful. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening. And now, go do something awesome. Mm -hmm.